Profiteroles. Hey everybody, welcome to the Actual Garbage Podcast, Consumption Log 2. I'm going to stop saying the number. I said I was going to do that last time. Um, this is your host, David Paddock. To my left, we have Ryan Riley. Howdy, howdy. And to his left, we have Nicole Paddock. Here. The movie crew is back. We are here to discuss a movie that I still will probably get the title wrong for. So I'm going to let Nicole, who picked it, say the title and introduce it. Nicole? Hello. Today we picked The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Uh, This is a Peter Greenway film. Uh, If you are unfamiliar with Greenway, you probably were not a film nerd back in the 90s. (laughs) We'll forgive you for that. Um, (laughs) Today's movie is high art. High fashion, it's pretentious, it's grotesque, it's macabre, and going back and watching it as an adult, it's actually quite funny as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's quite good as also. Yes, yes. So I... I don't know if we want to. I don't know if we really want to break down the story on uh, this. There's one, not much to break but down. There's, yeah, there's not much. I mean, this 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 film is a revenge play. Basically, we have a tyrant who the thief. Yes, who is the thief? Who is played by Michael Gambon? Superb, superb performance. And it was it was horribly. I don't know if this factored into you picking this movie at all. But I had made a comment not terribly long ago that Michael Gambon. In the la- in the 21st century, in every movie I've seen him in, like it's funny to watch him because mm-hmm. he's he's got a good air to him. But it seems like he's been phoning in his performances for a long time. Most of the movies I see him, in, especially as Dumbledore, as most of you may recognize him in the later Harry Potter movies, don't recognize him. Completely that. uninspired, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this movie rather perfectly vindicated that. <laughs> what you've got to realize is that a clever cook puts unlikely things together, like duck and orange, like. Pineapple and ham. It's called artistry. You know, I'm an artist the way I combine my business and my pleasure. <laughs> Money's my business, eating's my pleasure, and Georgie's my pleasure too. Though in a more private kind of way than stuffing the mouth and feeding the sewers. Though the pleasures are related. He is... Maybe he just he just topped out after this movie, because this had to be a one hell of an exhausting performance, mm-hmm. if yeah. I do say so. He provides most of the dialogue. <laughs> and Monologue, you mean. Yeah, yeah. yes. And, and there's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, so this movie is a revenge play in a classic Jacobian sense. Yes. Uh, we have the thief, Michael Gambon. He is the tyrant. Mr. Speaker. Yes, he plays Albert Speaker. And we have his wife, who has, who is played by Helen Mirren in what I've read. Uh, many critics say a very brave performance. Yeah, brave shows up a lot in yes. the description for this movie. A very nude performance. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. She, you know, I mean, you know, she's no spring chicken in this movie, but she still rocks the nudity with the best of them. I mean, I guess it was rated NC seventeen. It was. Rated X. It was actually, yeah. I mean, it was rather racy when it came out. I can I, believe that. Yeah. Um, even Although though, it's not it's not horrible about it. The first scene is probably the worst one in the whole movie. You know what's funny is when I saw this movie originally back, uh, you know, I was probably film nerd era, I'm going to say between 16 to 18 maybe when I first saw this film. Sure. I did actually find it very racy and, you know, a little... Transgressive. Yeah, I mean, it was a little awkward, like the abuse issues with uh, with Helen Mirren and just the... You know how horrible Albert 
is as a person. I mean, it was a yeah. little unsettling. Now, you know, what we're talking 20 years later. Now that everyone abuses everybody. Yes. I mean, stuff has changed. And with stuff like, you know, now that, that I'd say like what something like Game of Thrones is pretty much mass. Like everybody watches Game of Thrones. That's normal shit. Like, so going back and watching this movie, I didn't find it as you know, like racy and subversive and macabre as much as I almost found it. I, I, I was able to take it a lot lighter this time. Like I found Gambon's performance fucking hilarious yeah. watching this movie as an adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I agree. I think, I think the movie does, you know, have a kind of relatability. I mean, I agree with you. You know, we were young yeah. when we watched it. We were teenagers. We definitely watched it with the door closed in our parents' yes, house, you yes. know, like turn it down just a little bit, you know, so that they didn't ask what the fuck is going on in there. But, you know, watching, I, I do agree that I was, you know, uh, watching that movie for the first time when I was a teenager, was, um, it was shocking. I mean, yeah. not like I say, like, you know, oh, this is, you know, they've gone too far, but I think what's... But it, it, did, it, it, did, it did elicit a response. Like, yeah. it was a little uncomfortable at times. Yes. It was, you know... And for what it's worth, even in the era of Game of Thrones, the contrast between the, the beauty of the sets, which we'll get to, yeah. contrasted with the ugliness in the characters, yes. I actually still think worked pretty well, even on someone who should be as jaded about that as I am. Because in Game of Thrones, there's a relish to the blood and the gore and all that stuff that is not in this movie. It's it feels substantially more real even well, though because it it's almost because it's slightly more pedestrian in the way that it's presented. In Game of Thrones there is a flourish and a graphical quality to it that is not present in this movie. At least I don't think so. Like when when uh, Mr. Speaker mm-hmm. is um does any form of abuse to any other person it doesn't like zoom in on it or anything, but it should. But the wounds last. Yes. Like when Helen Mirren get when Georgina. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. The wife. Yeah. Don't don't call her Georgie. Gets yeah. Don't call her Georgie. <laughs> um, gets injured. Those injuries stay on her the whole movie. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she comes in, she's bruised, and then we know that he beats her again because by the next scene, she comes in with a veil mm-hmm. over her head to yeah. cover her her battering. Um, well, and also, I, I didn't want to compare too much to the Game of Thrones, but also I, I did want to say about this movie is it has a very nice classic feel. I mean, this movie is a little over 20 years old, I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, 89. 89. Somewhere around there. Um, and I Shit, remember almost, when... Almost 30 now. Yeah, when I picked this movie, <laughs> my first thought was classic. Like, I was like, let's... And, and it is a very modern day kind of classic movie because it's pre-digital era. Yes. Um, and it's... Like I said, it's not so much uh, a a narrative movie as it's more of kind of like a high art tale. Greenway is a a visual artist more than a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Well, he's um, an actual visual artist. He's yeah, a yeah, that's what I mean. He is a visual artist first and foremost. Um, and this and this has like a very big like it's very like classic in almost like a way that a a Rembrandt painting is yes. classic. Um, and I felt that that held up pretty pretty well when I watched it now. Like when I watched going back and watching it, I still think that classic would be a good way to describe it. Yeah, and I think that we can kind of link the two ideas between the aesthetic that Greenaway was going for in the film and then 
you know, bringing in the the relatively brutal violence that is in that is in the film. Also, right, you're you're immediately juxtaposed to the first scene of the movie, which is just a uh, you know, a beating um, yes. of a, of one of Mr. Speaker's a, a, a uh, humiliation. Yeah, humiliation. And, yeah. And like, as like grotesquely as you could possibly. Yeah. Scatological. Yes. Yeah, exactly. a Scatological humiliation. Yeah. So you get these. You get you get this rather. You know, it's a jarring scene to ri- to witness, and yet you are in- initiated into a world that is lush and that uh, is beautiful, that is immaculately framed. I mean, you you see this this uh, this unfold to you. And in the way that, once again, I don't you know, I want to bring up the GOT to kind of like, you know, compare it to. But I think what makes this jarring. We may as well just keep making the comparison because there's, there's, enough, there's enough to compare it with. Um, I, I mean, it's not the exact parallel. I think Wes Anderson will come up. But, but I, I imagine it's going to come up a handful of ways. Uh, I, was only... I just, I just kind of meant on the sentiment towards like brutality yeah, and, I wanted and abuse to kind of... because I think, I think we are definitely a more numb to to that on a on our entertainment like on an entertainment level than we were you know 25 30 years well, ago I mean I, look look my initial point was was that they I think both both this movie and Game of Thrones takes an exquisite amount of care in the way it portrays violence and I think that once again can be very effective now the care that uh, that the game of uh, you know the Game of Thrones world takes to violence is in the, the the attention to detail that uh, of world building, right? Mm-hmm. You are you are brought into the uh, into Game of Thrones, and it is, I think, one of the best movie. You know, was one of the best. Well, excuse me, uh, pieces that has kind of you know done its world building very well, right? Brought you into this kind of medieval violent sense. And so the next thing that you face is that with the the world of of the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover, with Greenaway's world, it is not a world that is trying to immerse you into a specific aesthetic. Rather, it is the aesthetic itself in which you're trying to immerse yourself in. You are trying to be shown something beautiful, not so that the violence appears more real, but that the violence appears striking in its own setting and almost seems distanced from it, as if it you, you're asking, is it exploitative? Is it intentionally trying to juxtapose the beauty of the film in which it's trying to achieve well, all at the same like time? It's beautiful and violence? grotesque, like simultaneously. Right. Um, you know, Greenway's one of those directors, much like Von Trier, who you get the feeling that to a certain extent he does not like his audience. Right. Um, so he wants he wants to make you uncomfortable, but he he's not gonna just but because he's a visual artist, he's gonna do it in the most like you know, like he gives you like the most high art sense in which to take in like this grotesqueness. Yeah. Um, no, I think that I think the funny thing is is that they don't they don't necessarily dislike the audience. I think they're more in love with their subjects, and in okay. sense that means that they've kind of lost a little bit in the, in translating <laughs> this to their audiences to a certain extent. For example, like you know Toulouse Lautrec, and you you want uh, talk about this idea of what grotesque is. And grotesque is not necessarily the idea of showing something gross, right? Mm-hmm. It is showing something corporeal, some, showing something of the body. And we've talked before, Ellen Mirren, you know, uh, a mature woman in, yes. in this film. You know, the um, Michael, her her lover, is a mature man. Yes. They are not svelte. <laughs> they are not, you know, uh, magazine cover models. They are humans. Like we are all yes. humans. Like, and so when you see these, when you, we see these people naked, right? We see their bodiness. We see how love exists in the way that you know it exists for normal people and yet this is so highly stylized i mean the you know the 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 tone of the lighting that the uh, that their skin 
excuse me, the tone of their skin that the lighting evokes is very, very classical. I find very beautiful as mm -hmm. well. I think the naked figures are, are quite luscious and gorgeous. And once again, being shown into this world, the, what is grotesque about it is the kind of reveling in the almost non-idealized standard of beauty, right? We, we sh the, the setting is what is beautiful, and yet it almost has us re-look at something inside the setting and, and see it framed as if it was beautiful. And it reminds me, because I was at the National Gallery in D.C., Toulouse-Lautrec Toulouse does yes. this in his artwork. He is so enamored with the Moulin Rouge series that these women that he portrays, these prostitutes and these dancers in the Moulin Rouge, are not classically beautiful. And yet his care and his subtlety and his desire to express that beauty in their grotesqueness, in the way they actually exist, in their non-idealized form, becomes its own, uh, in its own sense, very beautiful as well. And that's why I think I like this movie so much, is that it, do it rejects what we would consider to be the kind of pop-cultured idea of what beauty oh, should yes, be. It definitely rejects all types of pop culture. It, it, yeah, it, it, it is it, not pop culture and, and it's at not, all. It's not sexy. It doesn't no, try to be. That's the no, thing. It, it tries to be beautiful, yeah, and that's not the same thing. It doesn't try to be sexy at all. Yeah. No, and the, uh, to the point of this being, to the point of the settings being beautiful, this, this movie is practically Shakespearean in the way yeah. that it's designed. The sets, um, just because of the way that the camera work is done, it, the camera work, the camera barely works at all. The camera feels like it's on well, a cart. It, there's, well, and there's, you know, you see it right from the very first scene. I mean, you're basically on a huge soundstage. You can even see the scaffolding in yeah, the first. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't hide much. He doesn't even yeah. try to hide it. And, I mean, there's there's basically... Which gives every scene a massive expansiveness. There's no... Yeah. There's, there's no edge to anything. Yep. No, and yeah, like there's no there's no ceiling, there's no cap to any of the scenes. There's barely two walls in any scene either. Yeah, yeah it's good yeah. stuff. And um and yes, yeah, so a lot of the camera work is basically just a you know, it's a it's a dolly shot where it's just moving across the sound stage. It goes through the outside, through the kitchen, mm -hmm. through the wall, and through into the dining room, and that's all at an uncomfortable chest level. Yeah. Yes, and very and slowly. And almost never all that close. There are almost no close shots in the whole movie. No, everything there isn't. takes place. Everything has that pedestrian feel where you're potentially walking by, and this happens to be going on, which I think is what makes the violence. Not to harp on that again, but I think that's what makes the violence effective: is that it has that feeling of being somebody else's problem in a way that it doesn't in a lot of uh, in a lot of Hollywood where they are reveling in it and getting you as much of the exactly. action as possible. Yeah, exactly. It's literally, it's just happening in this one, like the most violent scene in the movie potentially when, um, when Spica like obviously punches Georgina in the side and like gra grapples with her and pulls her into the car, they are never taking up more than like a tenth of the screen. No, we I know. Just, we are basically just... We are. We have to watch this happen. Yeah, we just have to uncomfortably watch what's going down. Because it's like she gets in the car. We know she's going to get the shit beat out of her that night. Right. Like, yeah. you know, and we just we watch it from a distance, and it comes off, and then we get to see her in the restaurant the next day, like all battered and bruised. Yeah. You know, 
No, it's 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 shocking the way that it reveals it. But once again, like this this happens in this setting. Once again, like you said, it doesn't doesn't pull us in to tell us how oh, to yeah. feel this. Well, the other nine tenths of the display is a lavishly produced kitchen with like verticality to mm-hmm. the way that the food is presented. With, and like, I mean, there must be more employees in that kitchen than <laughs> yeah. there are people actually eating in the restaurant. Well, by I mean, by the end of it, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you got Mr. Speaker coming around every evening. You're they're not maintaining which, uh, a loyal yes, base yes, of clientele. Yes, yes, part of the the. You know, the small amount of story that's kind of in there is, yes, you know, Mr. Spica decided to pick on this one particular French restaurant. And, yes. uh, he's, like, worst of anything, he's taken an interest. Yes, he has taken <laughs> an like, interest. Is, oh, no. More that polydew Francaise. And um, and that's just not good for anybody. Anybody that wants to eat at the restaurant, anybody that works at the restaurant. And, yeah, I mean, he's... He is a brute force. He's a tyrant. He's uh, he is. I think he's one of my favorite film villains. I think. Okay. I mean, he, I, I think he is intended. You know, he is one of my favorite film villains in in cinema history. I think he is just. He is so acerbic. He is so nasty. And yet, his like you talked about. No, okay. Now we've talked about what pretension means, like being pretentious. Yes. Yeah. All right. We have to understand that pretentious is has the root of pretending. And in that sense, Albert is the most pretentious <laughs> film character of all time because he is ultimately pretending, right? He is a brute in the most literal sense of what that term could mean. And he tries to He tries change. to act like he likes fine things. Yeah, oh yeah, it's yeah. funny too because he, you know, there's always this, the, the cook, right? The head cook who has to deal with this person who has taken an interest in his restaurant. Richard yes. Borst. Richard Borst, yes. He, he has to deal with this person and he is... Also, I, I, ironically, the only person who stands up to Spica uh, yes. in, in the film, right? Initially, when we see him, he's plucking uh, the fowl that they're going to cook that night. It's an awesome shot with the with feather with the, oh, the down, feathers are flying the everywhere. Down feathers flying everywhere. It's a really cool shot. Um, and you know, he is always kind of pushing back. He always kind of uh, is slightly jesting with with Spica about his um, his rather conservative. Gastronomical uh, tastes yes, and yes, things. Yeah, you know, like, how his, yeah, his tastes are, but his wife has ex, an exquisite, exquisite palate. Exquisite palate. Yeah. <laughs> so he's always, you know, they're always kind of balancing off. And but once again, I think it's ironic. It's it's not ironic, but it is funny that the person who is, in a sense, the gateway to what uh, Speaker wants to achieve, what Albert Speaker wants yeah. to achieve, is the cook himself. Right. That's why he's in the title and the first. I think the first one in the title because he is ultimately the gateway for this world that Spica wants to involve himself in, into, right? It, through through buying it or through violence, right? He wants to be enmeshed into this world. He wants to become Yeah, it. he wants to think that he's, you know, high art, high fashion, that he's, you know, very refined. You know, he likes refined things. He eats at a refined restaurant. He right. likes nice clothes. You know, his wife is beautiful. He wants to be part of this upper, you he, know, this upper echelon, but he's not. And you can tell by the people he surrounds himself who are all even he you know, even to his taste, who are all just fucking idiots, goons, oh, and, yeah. his, his thugs. and yes yeah. men. Well, that's, and the title betrays the life behind him. I mean, he's the thief. Yeah. Spica is the thief, and he is he is attempting to move his way out of that, and is doing an absolutely shitty job of doing so. He's disowning old friends. At Near the end of the movie, he brings in a bunch of other people who are presumably kingpins of other areas yep. to impress them mm-hmm. and does a shit job of that. And yeah. his wife's not even there at the time, who may be the only person she's, he's trying to impress, period. Can't keep tabs on her. I mean, he's a massively flawed character yes. from top yes. to bottom. But 
quite garrulous. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that what is, you know, we've kind of popped around some of the ideas in this thing, and I'd want to go ahead and maybe we can bring them to the surface. We've talked about high art, of beauty, of, you know, certain sophistication in food. I mean, this film, I think, does have a lot to say or questions. I don't think in a pedestrian sense, like, what happens when, you know, when power or the bruteness of power, you know, invades the world of sophistication. No, well, that's definitely not. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's the case either. I think that, that Greenaway's kind of trying to, I think, get to some of the ideas about what we assume to be high art, what we assume to be, you know, a, a proper technique in enjoying food or proper palating. I mean, but what is it? I mean, if, you, if we can kind of deal with Albert's fetish, fetish, fetishizing of sophistication, I mean, what is it he is trying to achieve and why? Okay. Well, now, I, I don't know enough about Thatcherism to really make this argument, but a lot <laughs> of people claim that this is like a... You know, it's a satirical play on Thatcherism, in okay. which, like, you know, he's like the bully that comes and oppresses the middle class worker and intelligentsia, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I, like I said, I don't know enough about Thatcherism to really delve actually, into that. You know, I have but you may. I have an introducing book on Thatcherism, oh, actually. Well, <laughs> well, I did not read that before I picked, this. I picked, the, I picked uh, introducing Zizek and introducing Thatcherism at the but same time. But I mean, time. He's, yeah, he's, try, you know, he's yeah. trying yeah. to keep up, like he's a two-bit thug, but he's trying to keep up like an appearance. Like everybody wants nice things, but he does it through, he does it through like brute force and just by being a bully, essentially. I mean, he targeted this restaurant and was like, you know. Well, that's that's why I think that's why I think him attempting to reach out to Georgina I think is a really important part of the way the narrative is built. Where and she alludes to it near the end of the near the end of the film, she won't. She has even attempted to escape, and he has brought her back. And for the kind of money he has, the heart of gold and checkbook to match, he should be able to find another woman. But she is, she's essentially the pinnacle of sophistication in the film. He can't let her go. No, because he'll never find somebody. Like I said, she's the one with the exquisite palette. Like, yeah, she, she is the one he needs to impress. Yeah. And even though she, he has to denigrate her in front of other people for the purpose of appearances, it's clear that his attachment to her is all-encompassing. He wants kids, won't find another wife who can have kids. Like, the number of just little yeah. dots on he that claims board. That, he claims that, you know, she's the one that corrupted him. I was almost a choir boy when I met Georgie. But you spoiled all that, didn't you? Georgie was a very good education for me. She could teach a young man anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's no, it's absolutely he plays victim well, no, in her world. Well, no, but once again, I mean, does he kind of have a point? Would would he be going to the extremes that he is if it wasn't for his quest for sophistication? I mean, could he be content to being, you know, the slumlord, to being the, the, the petty boss that he was in his little corner of London for the 20 years before yeah, someone like, murders him in an alley? He, I mean... No, I don't think he would have cared. I think that's all a play to Georgina. It's okay. But once again, it's, it, it's that desire. So you're saying that essentially, you know, his desire for sophistication is his fascination or his love for the individual Georgina. Yes. I okay. think the whole movie revolves around it. There are too many hints dropped about, like Nicole said... The fact that he was a perfectly good boy yes. until he was going to be an altar boy before Georgina yes. showed up. Like the number of times 
And the amount of damage that is done in her name in this movie by him suggests that she represents what he wants. Yeah, but that's, I mean, to a certain extent, isn't is that, I mean, that's not necessarily the case, right? I mean, that's kind of a cop-out to a certain extent where, you know, the we're blaming the victim to a certain extent. Where's, where's the counterexample? Okay, well, I, go, I go ahead and lay out the idea that, you know, he is a vicious, horrible person, that his desire or the ideal that he sees, Plato, yeah, but what he sees... <laughs> But, you know, what he sees in Georgina is his own lustful desires. And I think that part of the point that Greenaway is trying to make here is that we all have these lustful desires. And the way that we experience them, I think, is is how we can distinguish between what we would consider to be the kind of base pleasures of the world and the more refined and sophisticated pleasures of the world. Now, the ironic thing is, is that they are, they both are revolving around the same ideals, right? Food. Uh, uh, clothing, fashion, fashion's a big art, one. sex, like all, these... of, all of which Georgina represents. See, I, I, I once, I think you're, I think, I think that there's just a, to a certain extent, kind of looking too hard into their initial relationship. These things are these passions and are inflamed within him to a certain extent. She doesn't. She doesn't inspire the passions within him to a certain extent. The idea that she's just guiding the way that they're manifesting is a little rough. But she represents a lot of them because she's like the ideal. I mean, he wishes that he could be on par with with what she represents. Like, you know, that's why she looks so nice. She's got the excellent palette and why he's, you know, trying to impress. That's why she spends 400 pounds a week week on on clothes, clothes, which he gives her. I, it, I don't know. I, the, the way that he is willing to destroy that presence of sophistication when he l- loses her suggests to me that he that the sophistication is a facade in her name. It's a facade in her name, yeah. He's trying to be sophisticated because he wants to have that in his corner in courting her. Right. Even though he is, you know, they are technically wed. That's apparently not enough for him. But the extremeness of his desires is not something that was made manifest by her. Because he is an extreme personality. And I was maybe trying to, maybe I, got, I lost your point to a certain extent. I don't think that, uh, he, is a, he is an extremely bad person. No, I know. Right? And I think I... that what, what has characterized or flavored his, his projecting that, I mean, because once again, this guy just is fucking moving outwards. I mean, just talk, 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 talk. I mean, he just can't stop with just pushing outward into the world. In fact, you know, that's why he's a thief because, you know, he 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 his desires are constantly put, you know, being put upon other people. You got something he wants, he fucking takes it. Or you like, got you got to pay the piper when he comes around. Yeah, like he's a, he wants that, he yeah. gets that. Like this you know, he is just if, you know, just effusing well, this fucking mentality out into the world. Well, that's what I mean. He, he, he has Georgie and he has to make sure he keeps her, but like he has to there's a lot that he has to but, put into but that. But that's the thing. I think there's I think that she has tainted that whole persona. I mean, he obviously can't get over being the thug. He is still the thief in the movie itself. But right. George, his affection for Georgina is interfering with that, but not enough to turn him into a nice person. Yes, exactly. It just characterizes the way in which he pursues his own desires. Yeah, because the, the point I'm making is that I don't think he buys the restaurant if he's not married to Georgina. I agree completely. Okay, I, no, I, that's the yeah, point I I'm Yeah, exactly. No, I think, he, I think yeah. he bought the restaurant for her. No, I think he's eating fish and chips and screwing, you know, ugly whores. And, and, and the backs of strip clubs if he's not with Georgina. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, because he is still the extreme manifestation of desire of the pre, you know, the, and what he does is, is dress up the, the, the pretense, it, once again, pretending yes. that he is something that, that he is that not. he's and, not, yeah. And he is just a boiled fucking black hole of fucking desire and but, power. But and, that pretense is all, all of that pretense that he is building 
is informed by her. Yes, exactly. Absolutely all. Well, of he it. wouldn't. Yeah, he wouldn't have any frame of reference for any of that without her. Yeah, well, and I know. I think it too. We can think in our I mean, own. He'd pr- still. Yeah, he'd. Yeah, like I said, he'd still just be manhandling the fish and chips place and like getting his ante up. So mm-hmm. you know that yeah. they don't. What does he always threaten? He's like, you don't want a food poisoning scare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, I think that we think we can we as well. I think can you know think to our own personal relationships and to see the influence of you know someone who has held something important to themselves and you know we for one reason or another you know fall into that person's orbit you know as in terms of a, like an emotional relationship and are influenced or you know want to experience something in the way that they th- feel is the right way or the uh, uh, you know the, the I guess the right way to experience something right sophistication enjoying that enjoying the world through their eyes I mean. You know, there's an element of that that's, I think, common to a lot of people as well. And I think that, once again, the larger point I think this film is trying to make is is that what does it mean to be a sophisticate and why is it just merely the courting of desires or does the sophistication actually change or is able to change the way in which someone uh, experiences what they desire? Well, I'm just going to say, you know, because it, it doesn't matter how how much Albert ate at that restaurant. Like, he was never going to develop that palate. Like, he was always going to be out of his league. He's not that person. Regardless, he's not that person. Okay. This captain's salty! So... So, are we in, like, a... Are we in, like... Because I find it interesting, too. This movie comes out in the same year of Pretty Woman. I have never seen Pretty Woman, <laughs> seen Pretty for Woman? the record. All right. <laughs> so, I have seen Pretty Woman on TNT back in the 90s. And, um... But, the, once again, the idea is... Uh, and I think maybe we can, um... Is the ability to experience culture and high art, high fashion, high food, is that innate? I mean, is that is that what you guys are saying? That, you know, Michael is innately predisposed to enjoying the finer things in life, while Albert Spica is innately predisposed to only have the base pleasures and any he's, sort of pretense. I okay, mean, but once again, Michael can't go to Albert's world and do what he does, the same way Albert can only just batter himself recklessly against the gate of, of fucking sophistication. It's the approach. It's the reason why you're doing it. I mean, Albert's not trying to be high art. Albert is not trying to indulge the high art society for the sake of understanding it. He is just doing it to be part of it. It's merely affiliation. Yeah, it's motivation by affiliation. I mean, because he's not, yeah. he's, he's obviously, I mean, to some extent, he's motivated by, by power. You know, but he's not necessarily motivated by achievement. And that just leaves, you know, motivation by affiliation. He wants to be affiliated with being something, you know, being higher up on the food chain than he ever, ever, ever will be. Napoleon was a prat. He wasted everything. He threw everything away. Napoleon was keen on seafood. His favorite dish was oysters florentine. It's amazing, isn't it? Churchill liked seafood. All the great generals were keen on seafood. What is Julius Caesar like, or Hitler? Hitler liked clams. And Mussolini liked squid. They're making it up. Oh, yeah, what do you know, Harris? What did the bookseller eat? You could sell from his vomit. How do I care what he ate? It all comes out of shit in the end. Yeah, And and his foil in the movie is Michael Borst, the cook, who... Never has, a, I mean, he has a million what would be considered pretentious lines in the movie. Black truffles are the most expensive and caviar. Death and birth. The end 
and the beginning. He speaks entirely in an obsessive fashion about the one thing that he likes doing, and that's all he talks about. He doesn't. We don't know if he's married. We have. We don't know anything about his character because all he has done. He is the actual high art society. Thank you. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And, I, yeah, and that's. <laughs> no, no, I, I, that? no, I love it. No, he just made our point. He just made my point for me. I'll get to yeah. it in just a second. Yeah, okay. no, it's it's the the um, it's Michael. Michael doesn't care about who comes into his restaurant. In fact, he doesn't even necessarily care that Albert's running his restaurant. He just needs to cook. He doesn't like when the, he takes over. When Spica takes over the La Hollandaise, mm. he doesn't like pack up his bags and leave because that's his home. That's his church yeah which is an alleg which plays into the symbolism of a ton of the things in the scene for that there's literally stained glass in that kitchen yes, yes. oh yes. no there's the a choir boy yeah the first yes. time you come into it you get the, the singing boy. absolutely he can't leave his church no it's a place of reverence no matter who owns it no it's a place of reverence all right so here we go you ready for <laughs> okay. this i got some okay. shit i got what some you shit got? What right. you got? here we go here we go <clears throat> You talked about understanding art, right, as being important, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to understand high art or high culture. You need to be able to... Oh, fuck, I lost it. Oh, no. <laughs> no, you need to be oh, yeah. able to um, consume it, right? You need to be able to, um, uh, to desire it as well. All of these things are represented each by the three characters, right? Michael, Georgina, and Albert Spica. But the cook is the only one who is able to do all of those things, right? He is able to perceive art, he is able to understand art, and of course he He's is able, able to produce. produce it. And all of those things are ultimately what is important. And why the cook is the first part of this title is why we are here, right? These three people revolve around the world of the cook itself, the nucleus of the kitchen, and engage in, and, 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 and revolve themselves around the story to find, once again, someone who simply desires and wants to be it, but yet doesn't understand it and can't produce it, right? Michael, her lover, the mm -hmm. scholar, who can understand it, but might not be able to produce it, or maybe even have the same kind of passion or desire that Spica has for it as well. And then, of course, Georgina, who might not understand it or be able to produce it, but yet can perceive it, yes. right? And, and, and appreciate it, right? All three contain one of the major three elements that the cook, of course, revels in, right? And that is why his it is his sanctum, right? He is elevated, he is enlightened, and yet, of course, he becomes the main enabler of the two exact characters that uh, between Michael and and uh, Georgina, right? He me he melds them together, right? He yes. allows their affair to continue, and in fact, he enables it, right? Yes, understanding, he does. understanding, and appreciation come together through them, and he cultivates this, right? He rejects Albert, but still, you know, realizes his presence in the world, and yet cultivates the relationship between the understanding and perceiver of art. And I think that's very well done. Now, I, once again, we can go in, I got some other shit to throw at you guys. But I think that's a cool idea because, once again, the, one of the major themes in this movie, I think Greenaway is just, I think, bashing people in the face with what is high art, right? I'm going to give you a setting of high art in a really miraculously well-made movie, and then I'm going to fucking fill it with Albert Speaker. I ask you to leave the kitchen. I have other diners to consider. Yeah. I'm the only diner in that is here, boss. I own this restaurant. I want my wife, you be now. Where is she? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. 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 This is so good. I, I really, I really, really, really like well, this initial idea. And what's the backdrop of almost all of the scenes in the restaurant 
is a 20 foot tall Flemish painting yes. of yes. berobed figures. Mm-hmm. Just yes. the absolute worst possible backdrop for the conversation that's going on. Yeah. No, because they're, you know, it, but it's all once again, I think, trying to like relate this idea to, because to a certain extent, too, I think you could say that. You know, having this big Flemish painting. What's a? I forget. That's so the the painting. Something like a gathering of officers or something like that. The picture in question is called "The Banquet of the Officers of the Saint George Militia Company" by Franz Halls. But it's also the um, you know, the the dress of the of Albert Spica and his crew yes. mirrors that of the painting yeah. behind them. Yeah, they have the big more, red sashes, and they all come in with oh, the big red even sashes. Even more imitation. Yes. Exactly. Oh, and you know, not to not to accidentally jump the shark on the conversation, but. A, uh, an element that Wes Anderson plays on quite a bit yes, now. Yes, the costume, the uniform, the uniform. Yeah, exactly. And also, just okay, like just you know, little artistic touch. So this uh, this movie opens up every day. It opens with the menu yes. of what's being served at Le Hollandaise, uh, very much the way that Wes Anderson likes to start each section of his movies with either a book chapter or a little. So that we you all know, done at unceremonious flat angles. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. With just like you know the little props like right on top of the page yep. and <laughs> it's very you can definitely see where Wes Anderson borrowed from that. Yeah, I don't I don't want to I didn't want to accidentally yeah. uncork that until we want to talk about it because yeah I got it's a conversation worth having. Oh yeah no yeah. I lo- I mean I really do I love the you know I love both those filmmakers so yeah. I'm ready again but um, okay so the pe- the big pa- painting in the background of the dining room of the main of the main dining hall right or in the dining room uh, I think. Is this painting a reflection of the reality, right? Were these men in the painting real sophisticates? Or were the men in the painting a representation or their own times the version ancestors of Albert? Of yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this yeah, is kind of yeah, cool, Yeah, were too. they like the Boorish people coming in and basically, once, you know, Once again, the, 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 the idea that there is this kind of... Because I think, you know, once... I don't know if there's a sense... Because I've, I've seen a lot of Greenor, Greenaway's work. In a sense, his films are not not... They're not political. They're almost anti-political. But when I was thinking about it, I was there is a sense that there is not a he's not a fan of democracy of the common touch. Yeah, I've, you know? I've, I've actually read some people that have delved into that. Yeah, that I, that concept a little a little bit further too. Yeah, he's not necessarily a fan of, of common people. people. Yeah. yeah, what a Brit. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I think that you know. This idea, you know, and it's important that it is kind of these this Dutch master style, right? Where we get these, you know, these these petite bourgeoisie, right? You get these people who come to power at this time period in, in Danish history, and then you know want to cloak themselves in the materialist sense of what higher well, culture okay, is. Okay, yeah. So and Albert, then, it's like it's like that consumerism, called, like I guess what the bourgeoisie. It's all about like flashy consumerism with no substance, and that's you know Albert. Albert wants that. Yeah, he wa- he he literally wants well, to he, take it in. Yes, right? he, he wants to take it in. He wants to consume the best with everybody. You know, even though it's totally out of his element. No, the 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 fancy Jean Luc. Oh, not Jean-Luc Godard. Um, who's the... Uh, okay, yes. Okay, so the costuming in this is very avant. It is Jean-Paul Gaultier. Some people might recognize uh, his costumes from The Fifth Element. Um, he did the costumes in this movie at his height when he was putting Madonna in the pointy bra in 98. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably couldn't get more high fashion than this movie at this point in time. Right. <laughs> the idea that then, once again, you take this... you take. You take you take a guy at the height of fashion in the late '80s, 
and you put his clothes on Albert Speaker. I mean, it's like, <laughs> like, like comes this, 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 you know, we swing this pendulum back so forth, and you see, you get Speaker just, you know, like skulking and 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 shotting around in these like in this costume. I mean, he just like I love the I love the scene when he confronts Michael initially, uh, as Michael's reading in the dining room. And he like yeah. comes up and he like holds and he just like he just like. You know, subsumes into the scene, just plops into the scene, and he's all he's all back and beard. You know, like he's already <laughs> growing his Dumbledore. But he's just all back and beard as he comes in, and he's like, "What are you doing, reading again? This is a restaurant, not a library. The only thing you're allowed to read in here is the menu. You are insulting the chef. Reading gives you indigestion. Didn't you know that?" Don't read at the table. Tosses his stuff away. It's so, it's so good. Like that. Once again, we we get this this mocking sense of someone who wants. He who, wants who it, but is he, pretense. Yeah, he is pre- pretense but, because he doesn't want anything to do with the people that actually have you know the taste or the ability. No, he has disdain for everyone who's already fucking, there. He fucking hates them. Like, he does nothing but torture everyone else in that restaurant mm-hmm. for the fact that they're there. Yeah. Even though that's exactly the spot that he wants to be. He's well, just and that's a exa- fucking asshole. And that's exactly why. <laughs> I mean, the number of people that he displaces from the spots he wants to occupy yeah. in the hopes of kicking them out so he can be there. Right. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. So, just to parallel this a little bit, and I should have put this in the beginning of this podcast. So, this movie, much like, you know, Albert is a normie, you know, that wants to be higher up but just doesn't understand. This is not a normie movie. Like, so if my mom out there, you can move this. Just don't watch this movie. You're not going to get it. This in... This is part of the through line of movies that probably includes Birdman and Spring Breakers, where yeah. you you are either in the camp that is not you're not looking for this kind of time. Yeah, you either think this movie is pornography or you can appreciate it for its high art value. There's really <laughs> no in between here. Yeah, I think. I think <laughs> although the ending, you do you. I mean, you do get the reward at the end. I mean, yes, Peter I Greenway think they, at least gives the, you that. You like, do get the reward. I think he could have. Not, I'm not. It's saying, a hard-fought reward if you're yeah. not looking into it that hard. And right. I th- and I think and and the reward actually wraps up really quick because you have to get through a good two hours and you know your reward is pretty four quick. Minutes. Yeah, it's like four minutes. Mm. You're in and out. Yeah. So you really need to put the time in to get your reward at the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> but it is it is it is a good reward. Like, I. Uh, Speaker gets his. I mean, that's the kind of fun thing that comes at the but end. But it of this. also, I mean, but it, you know, but it's also it, it goes back to the grotesque thing. Mm-hmm. Like Greenway likes to incorporate the grotesque too, because he does it in the Pillow Book too. There's a little bit of the body horror at the yeah. end of that to wrap it up. Um, you know, he he gives you both sides because, like I said, not only is this beautiful, and not only is Michael cooked to perfection, right. but there's you know a very macabre element yes. to why he's. You know, cooked to perfection. <laughs> well, it's just you, you as you as you kind of experience because that that end scene I think is probably I think to me it, it, you know once again for people who are, who are bought into the movie ahead of time. But even when when I watched it the first time, even on a tiny little television, yeah, you know, in my room, yeah, um, uh, we're watching this this go go forward. I mean, as that end scene. You know, picks up and and it has this almost promenade sense to it. You know, in in the and the visuals come through. I mean, it was really striking because of the 
you know, the visual motifs that are brought through this movie in a larger sense as well. Now, before we kind of get into... You I know, like that it's almost a jury, because basically everyone he's wronged throughout yes. the whole movie... <laughs> comes out to see the verdict yeah. at well, the end. If n- <laughs> almost as if to complete the stage part, yes. you have you have a company front right. where well, all, all, all hands who are not dead are represented. Yes. Oh, no, fuck that. Even the dead guy's represented. Yes, yeah. he is. Yes, he is. Yep. yes, he is. Exactly. So in, in the best way that he possibly could at that exactly. point Exactly. In, in the pinnacle of the, the film <laughs> is... All, anyway, yeah. So the strange thing is, is that you... The way... I think one of the power of the end scene is that you... You, in a sense, upend the visual motifs that you'd been brought through into this movie. I mean, the dining room is not what it was, right? The color palette has been darkened and made more severe. And, you and get... even Helen Mirren is more severe by that point. Oh, yeah, Like, no. the outfit starts getting, they get sharper, she gets, like... She's I got mean, a train on her, she, on her yeah, gown I that's, mean, like, 20 it could feet be, long. Yeah, yeah, oh, like... well, yeah it, well, and the colors of it, it could, it could practically be described as gothic. Yes. No, it was gothic, and I, it's funny, now, <laughs> this is just a little bit of a sidetrack, but... The red, like, splatter of the uh, of the dining area, mm-hmm. I think is very, it is kind of gothic because gothic, like, gothic in a sense of, like, kids that wear black and spike their hair and stuff. Right. Like, yeah, that's, you that's what get, I meant. Yeah. You almost, it's almost like, like that Beetlejuice feel, like when they destroy that beautiful looking old house right. and they put, like, the black splatter paint yeah. and, like, the big pointy things. Like, you almost, like, she starts becoming that avant where it's like you took... What was probably like a really gorgeous looking dining room and you like splatter it with like red and black just for like this really kind it's it's very it's very gothy. Yes. Like not even gothic, it's gothy in like the the nineties <laughs> well, like I mean, it's, stylistic. Yeah, it's era. visual it's visual ideas come from the you know, the, the representation no, of black as well, death. But it, I mean, the, but the, it's also a sign of feathers. the times. Like that was that was that was kind of the times stylistically oh, yeah. of the times that was like very appropriate yeah absolutely so you get but i think too that you know what, what you build on in that scene is you get you get the colors that have kind of built this palette in general right you get you get the reds there's a heavy tint of blue that comes from behind yes. them michael is of course not uh is is that brownish orange e color <laughs> as well is all orange michael yes. all orange and <laughs> You, you get all of the colors mixed in, though. I mean, the one thing that is lacking or it, that is not represented is the boldness of the white. So when you, the first scene of the movie, you get two really dominant colors. You get a blue and a yellow yes. right, that is outside the restaurant. And then when you go into the kitchen, it is dominated it's by green. greens and earthy tones. Yeah, and, earth, and earthier tones. And, the, of course, in the dining hall of the restaurant, it is red. Red. And then, of course, in the bathroom, of course, interestingly enough, it is white. white. And one of the, I think, the coolest things is is that... The characters' costumes change depending on the room they're in, and once again, it's a subtle little little trick that goes through it. But it is, once again, fun in its expectation, and yet it's completely done for stylistic purposes, and yet needs no other excuse other than that, right? To reinforce the visual motifs that go through the entire entirety of the story, and as you kind of like experience all of these colored palettes. You see initially, and the camera first moves by as it goes into the restaurant, uh, into the dining room, excuse me, you see Michael, who is, of course, clad in brown and wears a brown suit throughout the rest of the movie also. And his brownness is, of course, I think, once again, if we wanted to attach a kind of symbolism to these colors, I don't think we would belabor our audience with doing so (laughs) and allow them to maybe provide their own interpretation as to why each part of the film has its own associated colors. 
but in the end, I think that it is you know meant to have a certain symbolic meaning, not to you know not to beat the the the, the point home here. But it is, I think, once again, a well thought out, well crafted, highly stylized point to what this movie is. And I mean, do normal people kind of see this and just shrug their shoulders like, oh yeah, great, you know, like color dominance like well, i mean how do they is, how do people experience when something so intentionally fucking done well i when i was reading through some of the reviews you know like i said it seemed to be very polarizing much like my previous choice spring breakers was people either thought it was like just sheer garbage pornography that's or, insane yeah well you know you can't win it you know you Jesus can't please Christ. everybody. Or, you know, people thought, even if it wasn't, say, their favorite film, like, people could really, like, appreciate the, like, the artistry, you know, the the um, the raciness of the film. Like, people, like, liked how, you know, kind of, you know, because, like I said, it, it's, it's dark. <sighs> well, I think a lot of... I think it's just, it's missing a lot of the checkboxes that people, this, it goes back to the expectation of what a movie is. When you have, this movie, the plot is almost, it's like five sentences. Almost all of it, it has a, it's like Shakespeare with less plot. I mean, the reason Speaker has so many lines is that Greenaway gives him all the time he needs to say whatever he wants on screen, yeah, and nothing has to happen while that's occurring. And the problem is that if you are not, if you are looking for intentionality within a scene, Greenaway makes that incredibly tough to discern. I mean, the plot, the plot has really basic things and there's a lot of symbolism going on, but it's all motif symbolism. It's not plot symbolism. Yeah, because the plot's very basic. Yeah, it's I incredibly mean, straightforward. Yeah. Um, which is also, funny enough, a trope that's happened in a couple of movies we've been watching recently. But the, um, <laughs> but it's just, and, and the scenes... It, because the cameras don't focus in too close, because there are only a couple of people who actually stand out and do anything. I mean, even, I mean, how many characters actually do stuff the way a normal movie has you do things? How many characters have real agency? Very, very few of them. You have to, you have to look around to figure out what's going on in the scenes. And I actually felt slightly lost when I watched this the first time because of the way that it's set up where there is there are no borders. Like the the scene is just completely open. It makes the focus in a lot of scenes difficult to discern. Um and that's just that's an amount of work that if you're just sitting down to enjoy a movie is I mean that's that's the step. It's the reason Spring Breakers ends up being incoherent because to read into Spring Breakers you have to see past the plot of it, which is practically non-existent. Yeah, there's not much plot there. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you know, plot is just, you know... No, like I said, this is visual storytelling. This isn't, this isn't about, this isn't about constru like making a well-constructed narrative. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, is that movies, movies are seen as visual narratives most of the time. That's the way they're marketed. Well, no, I mean... Movie... They're books you don't have to read. <laughs> yeah, and that's, but, like, plot is just... I mean, that's just such a fucking vulgar way of like getting around actually like saying something i mean you know some of the i think some of the most beautiful things that i've ever experienced have in their at their essence been rather simple i mean you know there's nothing i mean people you, you talk to normal people about you know some of the most beautiful experiences of their lives it's like you know a, a child you know doing something and you you know you feel that love for that child or you know your lover or something something they do that is just 
you know, wholly experiential, or, you know, it's, you know, we, we talked before in the selfless, self, selfish, selflessness idea that there was just a, a moment that had a kind of formative experience for you. And in the end, it didn't need a lot of plot, right? It didn't need no. a lot of like story. No, the I mean, meaningful the moment stuff it, doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And that's once again, but the, that's the not drive for plot is fucking horseshit. Like, no, know. I know, but that's the problem is that that's not the way people approach mute. It's not the way they approach movies. All right. That's not what they expect yeah. out of a movie. It's just, it's, it's just so, because like you talk, it's like, well, what goes on here? I mean, yeah, she finds a, you know, Helen Mirren finds a lover in Michael, but what is so really great about it is the idea that th the first 20 minutes of their screen time, they don't say anything to yeah, each that other. Yeah, that they is great. They have, yeah, the entire, the entire uh, affair is started without any words. And yeah. actually. And who breaks it? Fucking speaker. Yeah, yes. speaker, speaker yes. forces the introduction. Yes. Ruins yeah. the romance. Yeah. Yeah, because then he finally learns her name, unfortunately. Yeah. But still, once again, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't devolve their, their relationship. In fact, no. it only enhances it as, it's, anyway, yeah. But, but Although, actually, for what it's worth, I thought it was a little sloppy that Greenway felt the need to comment on that in the movie. I oh, thought, yeah, that, yeah. Where he says they watched a film. I thought that was a little on the nose commenting on it. Yeah. No, I mean, this, like, like we, we, we'll forgive him the same way we'll forgive Hitchcock the end of Psycho, right? I think, sure. I, think we sure. I don't think him. it ruins the movie. I just think, I, I think that showed a lack of restraint on his part. Yeah. Well, I, mean, maybe, I don't think he shows a of, lot of restraint yeah. in general. I, I mean, think his, Spica his, might have got to him at yeah, that point. Yeah, his, his projects are fairly unrestrained in general i mean you know <laughs> the right kind of restraint right so okay before we get it maybe we can get into the west anderson here at the end <laughs> yeah. of the at uh, the end of it um i mean what do you guys do you guys enjoy anything for its sophistication i mean do you guys find that you desire or want sophistication in any aspect of your life we spend the next 26 minutes attempting to answer that question if that doesn't sound interesting to you i recommend you skip ahead that long to where our Wes Anderson discussion begins. Consider yourselves warned. Well, I, that's why I picked this movie. Like, I mm -hmm. like, you know, I could have picked, I, there's, there's a number of movies to pick, and I keep picking stuff, I've no, I'm noticing a trend, I keep picking stuff that's, you know, a little bit more visual and a little less on the narrative side. So I think <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern here. For the and I mean I, I I enjoy I enjoy both high and low art, but the point here is that I can enjoy both. Like right. you know I can't I I can watch low art and I understand, but I do enjoy high art, and not all the time. Sometimes I don't want to be beaten down with the pretentiousness either. Right. Like mm -hmm. this is not this is not a movie I'll go back and watch frequently, but I am glad I actually picked it up again. It was really, I mean it was it's just fun to fucking watch because it's such like a visual undertaking. Like I love the scenes in that kitchen. Mm -hmm. Like the like like you were saying David, the vastness, like the fact that there's no ceiling on anything because they're just on this huge sound stage in this huge kitchen where there's people just everywhere working. I it's and you need the slow dolly shot. It's just really enjoyable to take all of that in because there's so much going on, even though it's not, you know, like, did we need to watch all those people cooking in the kitchen for like, you know, those long, uh, those long uh, dolly scenes? I mean. We didn't have to do that, but that's what makes the movie so fucking enjoyable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also, it's what differentiates it from yeah. other kinds of films as well. Yeah. I mean, David, do you, is there anything in your life that you 
feel that like uh, like you are or can be sophisticated in your enjoyment of it? I mean, this sounds like a softball, so I'm going to be a <laughs> little more Christ. specific about it. <laughs> the reason I like nonfiction over fiction in most narrative endeavors is that I find that the way people look at the world is way less interesting than the world itself. So when I read a book, I am, regardless of how interesting the story within it is, it's still trapped in the head of the person who wrote it. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be extremely frustrating most of the time. Movies, but that, that seems to mostly apply to books because in movies, enough of the visual component of it, and this movie is a brilliant example of it, the coloration of what's going on, the staging, the camera work, all that stuff, the choice of actors, none of that is within a narrative that the author can fuck up. They're just adding to it. Mm -hmm. And that's the part, and that is okay, because I'm, a, I'm all right with people inventing a fiction like that, because you can add a million silly layers of sophistication to that. But when we talk about things like narrative, when we talk about truth, <laughs> as most people don't, don't say it like that was this based on a true story is yeah. there any other way is there any other way to say it that there's the truth it's, it's really hard to be more sophisticated than reality like that's that's a tough nut to crack and i find that most i find that most stories that are not inherently simple like this one or i mean most of the other movies that i tend to really like i my palate for movies if you tried to guess what my top 10 list for movies is you'd have a really fucking hard time doing speed it speed racer um, it is on there. Okay, good. Speed Racer may have the most complicated plot of any of the movies on the list, though. Because and, I, and my, my correlation has the least amount of meaning in it, or is that... Well, that, that's the thing. Is <laughs> it, it, spans, it spans everything. I mean, there is... And, it's, and this isn't for the sake of diversity. I just... No, yeah, no. What, just, I, yeah. what I want out of movies, like the through line to what I like in movies, right. seems to essentially just be a commitment to purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that's that's about all I can get out of it. And as a result, I mean, to your point of sophistication, I like sophistication if it I like sophistication that you can still draw lines through. Um they don't have to be simple lines, but I like cons because I'm a process guy, I like playing the Tetris of understanding ideas and having them locked together in sort of a perfect tessellation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I only want things to not fit in that scheme for very good reasons. Um, and thankfully, most of the movies we've been watching tend to do that quite well. So is that like, is, but is there like your own understanding or your own preconceptions of what sophistication is supposed to mean? Or is this... You know, I can. What does I can sophistication mean? That's what we're trying. Once again, this is Greenaway's. Yeah, we're Greenaway's trying. question here. I think in a larger sense. Oh, right? are we just talking high art? No. Well, I mean, yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, That's what I, I need clarification. Yeah, a, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I think that the I if, I, if I may, and I will, I will take some okay, some building okay. on this topic. <laughs> I mean, is is sophistication something where the experience or the thing we experience is complicated enough, right? Or or is complex enough, if you will, to have the ability to uh, have all of its distinct elements be able to be clearly identified, to understand the, the nature of each, of each specific uh, ingredient, but then also appreciate that when these things are put together, they can be greater than the sum of their parts and understand why that is the case. So, for example, right, what, what are the things you can be sophisticated with? Well, let's look at this movie, right? There is a sophistication that can come from something like, you know, art. 
uh, fashion. Uh, he's got all food. that. He's got the acting. He's got the, the food. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so uh, art, yeah. fashion, and food. Right. What is it to be a sophisticate in art, fashion, or food? Right. In fashion, it's more than satin and thread and needles and you know line and shape and form. Right. They're all they're the components of what make make these things. But in the end, right? Someone would say, "Why be sophisticated? It's just meant to keep your junk warm, right? Why be sophisticated about food? It's just meant to fucking calorize your goddamn cells. Like food is fuel. Yeah, food is fuel. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm not. Go I'm not good at imitating the audience that you are talking about. But I guess if those are the three forms of sophistication in I this guess, film, I in, guess I'm not. Okay, and that's what I mean. It's not that. Once again, it's not to say that it's. I mean, I one went, is better than the other. I went to the Chicago Art Museum and. I had much more fun laughing how dumb most of it was than, okay. than see, it's gaping funny. in awe at how profound some of it was. See, it's funny because in, in this movie, like, where I may have, like, when I first saw it, I may have found it more profound. Now that I'm older and I don't, I don't indulge as in as much, you know, like, high art type of, of stuff anymore. Like, I, you know, I don't, don't really indulge in, in that stuff as much now that I'm older, but... I'm able to step back and find some of it more amusing. Like I said, I found this movie very comical to a certain extent going back and watching it. Just in how fucking... This movie's so fucking over the top yes. in every yeah. goddamn aspect. <laughs> Acting is over the top. The fucking violence is over the top. Right. The fucking sets are over the top. The costumes are... Everything is fucking over the top. And I was just really able to just fucking indulge in how ridiculous all of that was now where before like you know 20 years ago i would have taken it like way more seriously like if someone had said they didn't like it like i would have taken it more personally like you right. just don't understand but now it's like <laughs> fuck it this is fucking over the top bullshit and i'm yeah. just gonna enjoy it right like because you know i mean to a certain extent we're all outside the box on this i mean none of us none of us here are high art you know, we're all a little bit more Albert than we are Georgina right. to a certain extent. You know, but we we like, you know, but we all want to be able to, to try and understand. <laughs> well, I don't, I mean, I just don't know where there's this idea of what is cultured or what is, you know, what what is the proper way. I mean, I mean, is it is it to go to a museum and to expect or want to see something profound? I mean, is that, is that, is that like what... It is to be sophisticated, or is it to just go and see? You know, like, yeah, we got some shit on the walls, and you know, I don't mean to like, I don't mean to character, I don't mean to disparage anyone or, or you know, present company as well. <laughs> the idea that that's like that's some wrong way to go into a museum. But all I'm trying to clarify is, you know, is sophistication once again going back to this? Is it a desire to see something holy or 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 beautiful in its intricacy and to understand that? I mean, is it simply the desire to want to achieve it? Is it what you guys seem to indicate, right? Or is there a kind of, you know, presupposed pattern or pre-set up in our brains and our personalities and the way we experience the world that leans us, our proclivities, one way or the other? I think... And that way, once again, I, can't, I wouldn't be... I'm sorry. And that way, I wouldn't be comfortable in making a value judgment if there was people just more innately in the way their brains are or personalities bent towards, you know, experiencing the world in a more sophisticated sense or what they perceive to be a more sophisticated sense. Hello. Or those that just have a bent towards the idea that, you know, the world, that that seeking beyond anything of what is profound beyond the way that it hits you emotionally is you just putting on airs. I mean, I, I don't want to accidentally say something too profound here, but the, oh my God. The, version, the version of sophistication you're talking about is entirely French. Well, keep going. From top to bottom. Keep going, yeah. No, I'm done. Well, it's European. That's the whole thing. 
you can be exactly as high art about building a car right as you can be about cooking or fashion or any of those things we're talking about an extremely specific acculturation of what high art aspiration sophistication can be okay I, the difference between a mechanic that just mass produces name a generic Ford car. There you go. Ford focuses and the guys who build Maseratis by hand. Or the guys that build the $1.4 million Ferraris that they only make like 500 of. Yeah, all your... what The problem is I feel like this definition of sophistication is boxing the conversation. Because and, you think and, you think, and I'm not a French sophisticate. No, I don't like the French form of sophistication. No, I mean, are you are, are you you're, you're seeming to indicate that it's primarily an idea of like exclusivity or limitation that of what is sophisticated. It is, but it is it is it a completely it is, is. exclusive. Yeah, there's you definitely a level you of couldn't build a Maserati. No, no, that, that what makes what makes, Albert Albert can't can't get into those social realms unless he like physically strong arms his way into it, which is and what he's trying work. to do. And that's even, yeah, like, yeah. he's, everyone still knows he's just a fucking thug. Yeah, but, I mean, would like, you... Like, it doesn't matter how good you dress. Would you, but would you, <laughs> would you agree that the things that can be profoundly, profound and are then seen as being sophisticated are not profound because they are rare, because of their scarcity. They are fucking profound because... Fucking profundity or, you know, being so excellent is rare in and of itself. You're confusing sophistication and profundity. I think no, sophistication I think, is no, the wrong look, word look, here. No, look, man, like, uh, look, I'm saying, I'm not saying it's only that, but there are things that are mo more complex than what we can see them and what more people could be able to perceive. And in that sense as well, like, that is what usually, you know, people that have the kind of acculturation to be able to experience those things, i.e. the cook, right, who's able to understand, perceive, and create. But the thing is, even at the end of the day, he... You need at least one of those things to fucking understand it. But he's it. still just... and but he, uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. Even the cook, the cook is still just serving the stuff. He understands it, but he still has to fucking work. I mean, he's not... He's not high art. <laughs> I, oh, well, no, I, I think the cook does represent high art. It's just that, again, I'm... I'm having a definitional problem here because I, I think the way that we're classifying, I, I think we're confusing profound and sophisticated because you don't have to be, you don't have to be sophisticated to appreciate things. No, but there is a sense that... On a deep level. Well, no, but, but appreciate, once again, is just, you know, like standing and, you know, like, all right, this is great. But, okay, I guess, know, I guess and, are you saying there's a difference between, like, so you can appreciate, okay, like, let's take... Like, the movie's very high fashion. Now, none of us dress in, you know, like, none of us necessarily, you know, worry about high fashion. Like, that's, like, the farthest fucking thing from our everyday reality, right. you know? But, like, we can, like, look at something that's, like, really well-crafted and understand that it's, you know, you can appreciate the fact that this is, like, a really sophisticated type piece but, of thing. But, but it's my not, appreciation of it, it's not deep. But that's what I mean. It's not it's, sophisticated, yeah. I got all mixed up in the way I was trying to phrase. I kind of had a thought, and then it, it again. Got lost I, I think here. this. I still think this is a definitional problem. Okay. I think we're disagreeing on our wording. Well, no. I then. Well, then. I'm, I... <laughs> True Grit. Jesus. Simple movie. Never seen. Yeah. Simple movie. Yeah, but once not it... sophisticated. Still <sighs> profound. The overall point. That I was trying to make. Let's see if I'll see if I can break this down. 
Craig. Come just just give me a minute. Yeah, indulge me for a second here. <sighs> Is there anything that we that we indulge in and seek to understand in its in, in the complexity of something? If we leave what is what is what can be simple and profound aside, there is also something that can be both complex and profound as well. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Good. So no, complex and profound are not contradictory. Exactly. Okay. So if we want to understand what can impact meaning in our lives, and once I don't want to divulge into bullshit here, right? But if we can understand that, that if there is something in life and the ideal to experience all what is what can be great in life, right? If that should be something that maybe we would want to experience, right? There is a scale in which something of, of profoundness that we would want to experience. And, and once again, I would think also that someone who was so enamored with the idea of sophistication, once again, so how I would define sophistication is that being indulgent in something that is complex and understanding its and trying to understand its constituent parts and appreciate and understand why the way in which these com the, the complex elements are arranged in such a way to produce something that is beautiful or extravagant or and in a sense profound as well. And I'm not saying it's always that case because there are sophisticated things that might not be profound or that emotionally resonant. Well, well I was I was going to say I, you just described a lot of football fans. Okay, excellent. Yes. So, the thing is is that American or football. Re regardless. Okay. Either okay. way, People know a lot about the game of football or hand egg. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that that checks all the boxes for sophistication you just talked about. Yes. And yet at the same time, you know, there has to be some distinguishing remark. And once again, as, as we would understand it being put into it, right, these people are, you know, either like speaker where they call into radio shows and, and love their team and, you know, just want to use it as a way to fucking lift themselves up over other people, right? That's how one people could, someone could enjoy that. And they're not sophisticated, are they? I think they still are by your definition. That's in the same my, way that, that's the reason the, I that's don't the understand the definition. Okay, so Albert is sophisticated then. No, because he is not a football fan by that definition. He doesn't he doesn't know He doesn't he, actually know the intricacies of anything. Yeah, he's not into the nuance of any of the things he's talking about. No, like the way he's that not, a he's into fan it. Is. Fuck all, man. He, that's all he does through the movie is tell everyone how fucking how you're supposed to eat. You not eat with your fingers and not with your you know, like he fucking yeah. know he loves the rules, right? Doesn't he? Don't tell me he's not he's not educated in the way that he understands he understands sophistication to be. He's definitely under the impression that he is more knowledgeable ah, than so any some... of the people around him, which are, you okay. know, which he okay. considers himself to be like one step up above, even though in reality, he probably isn't. He's just, that's where he'd like to be. Yeah. Exactly. But once again, he could fill himself, right? He could read things. He could, the he influence of Georgina anything. is... doesn't read anything. You know oh, that no. reading oh. gives you indigestion. Oh, not him himself, right? But he, <laughs> all right, so maybe he listens to some podcasts or, you know, maybe he fucking, you know, talks with, about with his friends. he just goes and strong arms a cook and pretends he knows French cooking. Exactly, right? In the same way that, you know, we, we see people who, you know, feel that they have a good grasp of what is what is football or what is art as well. And yet, once again... Why is their pretense of sophistication not actually sophisticated? Because if you met someone who is actually sophisticated, you wouldn't say they're they're pretentious because they are sophisticated. Albert has is is pretentious. Albert is pretending. What exactly is the difference? I mean, and that's what I wanted to ask about. What are you sophisticated in? I mean, 
is there something that you feel that you in, indulge in on a complex way that is to a certain extent perhaps natural and not you simply putting on airs or perhaps you thinking that you are engaging in something sophisticated? Are you asking me what that. I'm good at? <laughs> no, I'm asking, yeah, to, to a certain extent. I mean, once again, we we want to indulge in a world that is that is part of what perhaps we... Okay, hang on here. Edit that out here. No, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, then leave the blank in. Oh, we will. Okay. No, it's, at some point you're at some point we're turning sophistication into proficiency, mastery, maybe. No, because it because also too sophistication comes with its own social construct as well, and that's why it's not mastery. That's why it's not proficiency. Once again, someone can know a lot and yet not have the and not fully be able to understand the, the way in which you are, you know, the way in which the social construct of what sophistication is, you're not meeting as well, but right? Once again, you're pretending. All of this is a social construct. I mean, this is, we're basically looking, this is, yeah, like you, you said, are, upper, you are, this is upper. That's the acculturation yeah, part Yeah, this is again. upper French high-end culture yeah, here. I mean, these are, these are, these are clothes we will never be able to wear. I mean, these I didn't accuse you of it. We you will never be able to afford to eat in. You don't in. eat like you're French, so I wasn't accusing you of that. Right. <laughs> I was just saying that I can't this afford is to. That's yeah, that, well, that's yeah. that's what I yeah. mean. Money is a huge issue. I mean, there's there's a reason a lot of us, a lot of people can't appreciate because we're we're like socioeconomically just like out of <laughs> yeah. out of the fucking league of that. No, I think that's well, that's where you have that's where the part where we were talking about you not being capable of forcing your way into it. There yeah. is there is a cultural and to some extent. Although not in all well, there's cases, a social, there's, a, there's a there's economical and also a social. There are, uh, there are innate barriers to it. Barrier. Okay. Yes. Also, but okay, and I think to why why I understand why you talked about proficiency or mastery to a certain extent. I disagree. Is there a sophisticated <laughs> way you could cook a single egg? I don't know. I'm not a cook. Okay. Well, no. But once but once again, is there? Could someone? Are you saying that like poaching would be more sophisticated no, 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 than uh, scrambling? No. What once again? Is there a way that you could scramble the egg that would? For, you know, make it a more a, a better, even more artful experience to enjoy an egg. I could go and watch French cooking. I could watch the Julia Child egg episodes and see a number of masterful ways to create eggs. Is there a way to eat an egg that would be sophisticated? Yes, there is, but, but both ways, right? There is there is the thing itself, and then the you know the social mores that come. That's what Albert's into, okay, right? So that's what Albert's well, into. Well, sophistication would be. It's not even in the scrambling. You'd have to take it even. Even before that, before you scramble the egg, you're looking at like when the egg was produced, mm -hmm. what type of chicken, mm -hmm. how dark the yolk is, right. how chickeny of a flavor that's coming through, which depends on what the chicken has been eating before. So like you would have, yes, you could have a sophisticated scrambled egg, but you'd have to do a lot of work and know like y y all the nuances of what types of eggs, because, you know, not all eggs scramble the same. They don't all have the same flavor like you. You'd have to take it back even farther than just the scrambling process. I right. think if you really were going to make a sophisticated plate of, you know, are, are they summer eggs? Are they winter okay, eggs? Okay. Are then. they brown eggs? Even are then, they... let me sit, let me put let me <laughs> posit this example to you. Right, I take one egg, I throw in some fucking oil, I blast it on high heat, I crack the egg in, whip it up. Just it's harsh, it's gritty. That it's got that you know, it's 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 just a quick, easy done scrambled egg. Right. You know, compared to the second one, right? I take it, I mix in a little bit of cream with it, right? I heat my butter very slowly, right? I, I pour the I poured the whipped egg in there. It heats slowly. I, I fold it. I fold it. I fold it. I get this luff, luscious, 
delicious, almost fluffy white cloud of, an, of a scrambled egg in front of you. I hand those two eggs to two people. I would put, once again, I would put forward that many people would be able to tell the difference in quality of those two eggs and there would be nothing distinguishing them other than the way in which they were put together. Once again, the basic elements achieved something greater than itself, right? And sophistication composes both, right? I, in a sense, could be sophisticated in that I had the ability, knowledge, skill, and once again, nothing more complex than just a fucking pan, eggs, milk, butter, right? Everyone's got that shit. You don't need money to be sophisticated. At the same time, right, if I put those two eggs to someone else, would they be able to, I think most people would enjoy the egg that was, in a sense, more sophisticated, right? That had the technique into it to, under, to unlock what was in the essence of the egg itself. But like I said, I still don't think it's 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 There's... it's still just a scrambled egg unless you like you take it all the way back. Like okay, so the cook, who's obviously the one that has all components, all I, of I, these I, components, I, I the auteur. Okay, you know <laughs> what is the very first scene? Albert brings him two thing, two trucks full of meat, and he's like, "No, I fucking reject this because oh, I have to good. go through very and I good. have to fucking hand pick." And approve every goddamn ingredient and the source of every ingredient okay. that comes into this kitchen. So you're not sophisticated because you didn't even go back far enough. Like, unless you're, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> oh, so I was, you still oh, just I have gonna... scrambled eggs. Okay. Well, I mean, if we're talking fractally, yes, we can go back and <laughs> forth. Right, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> not the contention I have, though. My, my contention with this is that all, all I feel like we've done... I don't want to say bifurcate because I said it recently, but I'll say it anyway. Um, all we've done is broken this into into a production consumption dilemma again because it is entirely possible for someone to enjoy that charred egg more than the fluffy egg by eating it in a more sophisticated fashion. The author's dead as far as eggs are concerned. Now, so the the so they're saying that when the, if someone gets these two eggs, right, and they eat one egg and then they eat the other egg. Right, you're saying that if the if they ate the the fast cooked harsh scrambled egg, you know, with the right silverware and the right manners, that would unlock the posit the positive potentials within the egg. And if they no, just, no, 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 what do you mean? No, it's the attitude with which you approach the eggs. Exactly. Maybe right? that's, that's what we talked about when we went to the museum. You, right. That's what you want. If what you want is the grittier experience, I mean, to say otherwise is to condemn modern art. In its entirety. I'm fine with that. Post-romantic. I'm not saying <laughs> that's a position we can't hold. I know, I'm just... just saying that's the danger. Okay. Because all Is we're... Is a little fuck Duchamp? No, I'm <laughs> because, because that that seems to be a condemnation of ugliness that I am completely uncomfortable with. No, I don't. I just... I would. I was just trying to maybe get to the point, too, that, you know, I wasn't... I Once again, I always feel like I'm being... I, I find that I am, in a sense, trying to, at the end of my conversation, always trying to defend normal people in the, and uh, the just same way. stop. You're I, not normal I, I know, people. I, just, I don't know what the fuck you're thinking. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about at all. I feel <laughs> like I have to do that. I know. Well, I know because you always, exactly, I always feel like this is the dynamic we get into where, like, I, you know, you're like, what about normal people? You're saying that their shit, the way they enjoy the world is terrible. And, like, this is why I we have to, this what, is why what, we the Plato what, conversation. Yeah. What we're because... saying is they don't know how to understand the world. Yeah, but the, <laughs> they don't know how to eat eggs. But, yeah. can, but my contention would be that if they ate both eggs the same way, that they would that there would be a large people who would say, 
say that that fucking fluffy egg that you gave me was that was. I don't good. think that the normies don't fucking know the difference. Damn, that's fucking good stuff. That's what and I I'm be on the exact opposite side of this, where I think you think I it's think, all sophisticated. No, no, no. I believe <laughs> they're, like, they're I, all fucking sophisticated. I, it's I, all just jargon. And I believe on. that it is possible to live in a world where you're sophisticated enough to appreciate the charred one over the nice one. Oh God, damn it, David. This okay. is why yeah. I don't like people using words like that because this is why this is why it's a definitional problem. Oh, see, I, yeah, I'm a little bit. It's practically egotistical the way that it's being used right now. I didn't say pretentious. Yeah, exactly. Egotistical. Yeah, I can't pretend anymore. You and know, the like, ego. This is, it's, this it, is who I am. Yeah. Well, but no, that's the innate side of it. That's what I've been. Okay, that's what I've been trying to make the point of is that is there some innate sense of of sophist of being able or desiring a more complex way to experience the world than those of the baseness oh, of well, Albert Speaker. Yes, of course. Of course there is. Okay, good, because you guys yes. are, okay, I was Okay, maybe... we could, I'm going to edit all the last 26 minutes out and just say yes then. Because, okay, good, that's I mean, cool. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. People, people are different. And they can't change. <laughs> they can change. Okay, okay, of course. Okay, good. People can change. Yeah. That's the hard part, though. Yeah, everyone has to find their Georgina, right? No, don't find your Georgia. That ended horribly. Well, just because he's a particular kind of brute, right? I mean, he's just... I mean, not everyone don't, who met don't a Georgina. Don't take any chances. Don't ever meet don't a Georgina. Don't take any chances. Not worth the risk. Okay. It's... Yeah, that's a... That's a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> I like this idea. Like... Because it's cool. Because it means, like, sophisticated... Like, it does... It does... This is inherently aristocratic, right? Like, we can breed sophistication. Like We've a, been doing it for generations. Exactly. Exactly. And these people end up with hemophilia and, like, yeah, mental they do. retardation. That's the problem, yeah, they, I think. that They indirectly cause uh, revolutions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> through their own... Through their yeah. own... Uh, uh, yeah. Words. Sophisticated words. Trotsky. Trotsky. <laughs> <laughs> it was as sophisticated as... Well, he was Jewish, though. He that's, was too that's... sophisticated. He got him killed. Yeah, exactly. That's why Stalin hated him. Yep. Mm. That's unfortunate. So, so, so yeah, Wes Anderson, heavily influenced by this. If you watch this movie, other than all the grotesque um, stuff, all the bruising, Wes Anderson is basically, um, in the one movie I've now seen of Greenaway's, he's basically Greenaway for the squeamish. He he is he is definitely a little milder. I mean, there's um, very, there's plenty of and more heartwarming. Stuff. Yeah, He's it's definitely heartwarming. More heartwarming. It's practically saccharine sometimes, and it's certainly more precious. Um, there's just it's much more marketable. Yes, well, but, but it's strange though, in the way that he's more extreme is in his staginess, if you will. Right, like I think that you know his his uh, reliance on um, his reliance on costuming. I mean, the very conspicuous way that he, you know, moves from cards to titles to chapters in his in some of his films. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a sense, he's more extreme to the aspect ratios. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, the way, in the way that he stages, because also his movies also detach from reality, right? You think of like Moonrise Kingdom, with their, I mean, their treehouse is 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 absurd. I mean, it's a great visual. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but like, it is not designed to look real or be real. It is highly stylized, and yet, does this kind of help? The kind of you know heartwarming visceral experience because you know there's a as I found recently kind of like doing some research like there are some people that like hate Wes Anderson films like have you seen these I can like online comments? I can absolutely I, like, I, believe it's that. kind of ex exciting in the world that there are people that just despise Wes Anderson. But this films. is the thing that like okay so you know 
like the idea of the costuming is, you know, very similar between, you know, this film and like a, you know, Wes Anderson. But, you know, but Wes Anderson isn't dressing his characters in hot couture. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a different <laughs> level here. <laughs> and that's what I mean. Like this movie's like it's very hot couture. I mean, it's it's deliberately like it's deliberately inaccessible to a certain extent. But that's <laughs> because Greenway Greenway's most likely smarter than you because he's, you know, I mean, he might not be as smart as you, but he's different, you know, like he's he's like one of those fucking genius fucking out there guys that he probably perceives stuff on a different level than most of these people, you know, than than everyone else. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's and that's what he brings to his films is like a fucking level of extravagance and a level of like like visual storytelling that is not necessarily supposed to be. It's not supposed to be accessible to everyone. Like, he knows that he's going to lose some fucking people in the mix. Right. And he doesn't fucking give a shit about that. Well, I mean, what, but what, how does Wes Anderson solve that problem? Because I think, you know, Wes Anderson appeals to this wider, uh, I think a wider swath of people, right? His movies yeah. are a little bit easier to Wide, a certain extent. Wider, absolutely. I don't, what, I, what do you mean? Like you said, you, I don't believe it's universal, though, because Wes Anderson's, I agree, yeah. Wes Anderson's world is still unapproachable because it exists almost entirely in the upper middle to upper class of gentry who have no real problems. There's, there is a detachedness to almost every one of Wes Anderson's characters where you... It, it doesn't have the relatability that a lot of people like when they see people on screen. Um, they don't, they, it's the reason, you know, not to go back to based on a true story, but it falls into the same, I think it does fall into <laughs> yeah, the I same trap of relatability, where in order to relate to the characters in a Wes Anderson film, you almost have to take an extra step back because they are not doing the emoting, they are just acting. Um, and Greenaway sort of has the same deal because of the extravagance of the film. There's, there is, I don't want to call it like a screen because that's a little, that's a little mean, but it does feel, it feels a little more distant. No, it is supposed to be distant. It's almost, uh, there's, and there's a term, it's been a long time since any theater thing, but I mean, it's like he's removing the fourth wall and you're just watching this go down. Mm -hmm. Like you are, you are removed to a certain extent. The camera in the, you know, the cook, the thief, is like that. I mean, you you're not up close with these people. You are yeah. you are back as a spectator. You are a safe in distance this. away from yes. everything. <laughs> That's actually not the case in Wes Anderson films, though. Um, so that doesn't necessarily. Well, I I find that Wes Anderson's a little bit more, as opposed to being extravagant, he's a little bit more nuanced, especially in the way he handles the emotions and stuff, because I think he gets a lot of emotional impact out of it, but it's very nuanced, and you might not pick oh, yeah. up on it until you've watched it four or five times. Well, that's that's what I meant by act as opposed to emote, yeah. because when someone is happy in a Wes Anderson film or sad or that kind of stuff, it's almost environmentally cued mm-hmm. rather than on the actor's expressions. I mean, Life Aquatic, I can totally understand why people don't like Life Aquatic on the first run, because nobody... Nobody's expression changes on their face the whole fucking You know what's movie. so funny is I find that movie hits me on an emotional level like few movies do. I cry at four different points in that movie every time I watch it and I have watched it a fuckload of times. Yeah. Well, there's a reality <laughs> there is there is a brutal connectedness you can have once you understand what's going on in the yeah. movie. It's just that when you need when you're looking to the actors for information they are not providing it to you in a Wes Anderson No, it's film. subtle. You have to pay attention or you miss it. Yeah. 
I mean, and, and a lot of, and people- that's why Bill Murray is Bill Murray's the perfect actor for Wes Anderson because Bill Murray plays everything with a straight face. Yeah, I mean he has to try. He's capable of cackling and that kind of stuff, but most of the time he's got that sort of like pouty-lipped kind of head to the side a little bit, just dead-eye stare, and that can emote a lot with just tiny gradations in his eyebrows and stuff. He can do that, but he's not telling you anything that you don't know already. Yeah, but I think too you're there's an idea that within the sto- within the plot of the story if you will there's a lot of information conveyed also. You talked about it. I think you're well, that's absolutely where right. You have to get it all from. Yeah, exactly. I think you're absolutely right to say that it's environmental, but the environmental isn't, you know, normally, you know, if you want to see an impactful moment in a Wes Anderson film, just wait till it goes into slow motion and a and a, and a song plays, you know, like that's always a good <laughs> Yeah, his, his, the music actually, cue happens. His 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 I think that that his music choices do like worlds to emote the specific emotions oh, pr- he wants yeah. out of oh, they're particularly well done. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, like he he has a kind of sense of, you know, pulling out these songs and the mood. I mean, um, you know, Paul Simon's Me and Julio, I love that section, you know, like that is like really, really great because it has this kind of both, you know, the, the way that it kind of seems and you know takes multiple threads that were running through the characters, brings them together and then the rest of the movie progresses with the with the single line that these that these different threads were kind of combined with, and that's part of his particular talent. Is that you know a lot of time in Wes Anderson films, you know when these threads kind of come together, they are in a sense more overt, if you will. And the funny thing is about a Greenaway film, why we might consider it more high art, is that it does less to trigger those specific moments in the film to a certain extent. I mean, we do get them, and they are rather impactful, but they're less they're 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 less conspicuous to a certain extent. For example, the the relation when we see Georgina and Michael's relationship unfold in the cook the thief his wife and her lover, you know, we we see them interact with each other and they almost have a pre foreplay with the food. Mm-hmm. You see and they eat and then he, and then and she she's eating eats the the asparagus. Yeah, she's eating and then he notices her and they kind of nibble and munch. Yeah. And that's so and then once again we see them go together. We have the music cue, a really beautiful music sequence when they go to the bathroom and make love for the first time and then it go and then they go back and so Okay, you know, now we're enjoined on this period, on this point together as well. And there are several points in the movie where these themes kind of link together and where, you know, basically where Albert's not there and the movie takes a breath and then allows us to kind of experience this, this, these, these, these threads moments come together. Without his tyranny, basically, yeah, like exactly. being dumped all over us. And so, but once again, I think they're, they're once again, just less... Less overt than they are in Wes Anderson films, but but no, nonetheless enjoyable to me as well. Because sometimes it's nice to kind of get you know slapped in the face or something like that. I mean, part of the beauty of Wes Anderson films is that they say profound things deceptively simply. And like you know, my favorite yeah. part. You talk about my favorite part of a Wes Anderson film is the Royal Tenenbaums when uh, the Royal gets kicked out of the house, and they're like, you know, he's been faking that he has cancer the whole time, and they're like, well, I'm okay. You know, do we want to still up? And this is good. And he's like, Dad, you are never dying. And he goes, Yeah, but I'm gonna live. And I mean, that is so yeah. so beautiful. I cry at that. I moment love. Too. I fucking that is like my favorite Wes Anderson moment. I get, I'm getting chills just thinking about it right now. But like how. That care, you know, I love because it, it has symbolizes everything about Royal that he is like two steps emotionally ahead of everybody yeah. in the film. Anyway, he's already over the betrayal, and he's like, "I'm, no, I'm, I'm living." Live. Like, yeah, like I haven't been living the past twenty years, you know. And the family represents that. It's so good. Well, I was gonna another thing I was gonna say is that, it, and this is part of having the actors almost be slightly too real to who they're supposed to be in the films. Um, the dialogue is clever in both Wes Anderson films and in Greenaway films, 
but the actor's lines are not. Yes. There are almost no quips in either of their films. Mm-hmm. They they are saying things that people would say yeah. to each other. And maybe, you know, a little a little dressed up, a, a little, little more composed. Yeah. But so a hot meal for tonight, hey Richard. Something special, please. Hey, how about some uh, some uh, les hauts d'oeuvres, cat uh, au poivres, uh, terrine, a filet lamb, a poison au uh, poi, poi, poi. It's poisson. What did you say, Josie? What did you say, Josie? What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? But they're not they're not smirking the way that most actors do in movies. Like most, and if, especially if you watch any Hollywood blockbuster. Everyone can be, you can imagine a smirk on everyone's face after every line they say because everyone is either saying what's happening or they're making a sassy comeback or Uh, response to what's happening. They're so meta. A play on words. (laughs) Just so meta. Everybody has, everybody has their lip curled. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, they're, they're all working under that pretense. And that's granted, that's supposed to make them slightly more likable because we've heard that in the relevant demos, people like confidence. And that's an easy way to portray it. Um, yeah, Trump. But, yeah, but Wes Anderson, <laughs> Wes Anderson, uh, no one here is endorsing or not endorsing anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Non-political. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, but no, in a Wes Anderson film, I mean, they're full of smart, thoughtful people, but they're not, they're not winking ever. Like, no one no, is winking they're just, they're just carrying anyone. on. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, ma- they're amazingly genuine in how, like, in how... Like sedately, they seem to present their lines. You know, like I mean, it's, if sedate is the wrong word there, I, I know that's the wrong word. But like the way that you talked about, you know, how they how they aren't so overly emo- emotive in the way that they deliver their performances. Yet at the same time, once again, the environment, the context, the plot, the story, everything enjoins in, except the kind of like overactedness of what the what we're supposed to be told of how these things yeah, should come about. It's all off the page. Yeah, and for once again, I think you're right, absolutely right. I, of course, I'm. You know, um, I'm appreciative of how you, we've kind of been talking about these because, you know, I rarely look to a single source in a movie to cue me as to what should be happening. And I maybe haven't realized that maybe that's how people like I'm watching the actor and they're supposed to tell me oh, what that's happening right now. Like, that's a very that's real. fucking insane. Like, you got to like see I, I try. You got to have a broader view than that. And yet I would. It's just once again, it's very funny that that's a golden rule of writing. It. That is absolutely a golden rule of writing. You're supposed to have someone who it doesn't necessarily be someone who can you can hold their hand, but it's for the purpose of association. Oh yeah, no, nobody gives a shit about Wonderland unless Alice is there. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's just it is that I understand that, but at the same time, it's like even at a more base level, like people wouldn't be able to figure out what emotions is going on in this film unless it was being you know acted out in front of them, or unless there was a musical cue to it or something like that. Like that's just like someone be I could see someone waiting in a film like waiting for this, and they're like. I don't know what's going on here. You know, like they aren't telling me in the way that I've been preconceived to understand what's going on in this segment. That's interesting. Well, that's uh, the, and the the example I always think of is like imagine if in the Harry Potter universe that Harry didn't think he was a normal person up front. I have if he had just lived in the Wizarding world the whole life. Yeah, exactly. I have wouldn't no work. frame of reference for that. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> everyone, everyone I'm speaking to probably does though. If no, Harry, Luke, if Luke, Harry was Luke, a... Luke fucking Skywalker. Yeah, like, if, okay. if, if Luke Skywalker if, was already a Jedi. Yeah, fuck it. I don't. Nobody gives a shit about yeah, the story. Well, yeah. yeah. Then there's there's no there's no hero mythology. No, you need the normie. To, you need the normie to bring into the world. So so they can ask questions and the world can be explained to them. It's the f- yeah. most base trope you've ever. Well, seen it's in one your of life. those. Yeah, you have to go through the whole why me like yeah. in every Messiah story, basically. <laughs> yeah. 
Got spend, Why did got I get picked? 40 days in the desert. I yeah. Mean, can't, can't avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go religious. So, David. Yeah? It's your, your pick. Any, any idea what movie we're picking next? Um, no. Not at all. I have so much bullshit to edit right now. Uh, the Dumb Questions panel is now up on the website at actualgarbage.net. Check that out. I asked a random group of people a bunch of questions who purport to be furries, or at least they were at a furry convention. So that was equal parts informative and uninformative, but at least it was fun. Um, I got some, got some data out of it. Yeah. So what, 34% became furries by way of being bronies? Um... We don't know that for sure. We just know that 34% of them are bronies. Okay. Yeah. But okay. still, your, your N is about twice as exhaustive as many psychological studies are anyway. I know. Whatever. It's kind okay. of depressing. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was actually, I was going to bring that in, but I didn't, I didn't think of it in time, was to have a list of, like, prominent studies and their sample sizes so that we could, like, register yeah, how then, valid like, yours, this is. Yeah, yours nice. could be, like, in red, like, yeah. for, yeah. down on the list. Okay. I may nice. do that for subsequent ones. Okay. But, but no, I've just, I've got a fucking backlog of this stuff. I mean, we'll keep the consumption train a-rolling. I'll pick a movie and I'll... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm pretty... Next weekend. I'm pretty next busy weekend. next week. This is fucking holiday bullshit. I just... Well, gotta find, we gotta make time for great art, guys. We gotta okay, make time okay. for great art. Well, I... Yes. Oh, yes, so are we on the way... Outro? Final thoughts? Yeah, we're definitely at final thought territory. Oh, okay. Ryan? I think this is very sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like this movie a lot. I'm a big fan of Greenaway in general. I was very enthused that you picked this movie, Nicole. Oh, thank you. Uh, to, to, to check out. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation, and I hope that David edits down the middle portion of our sophisticated conversation so that we don't Probably lose not. everyone. Yeah. Well, thank you for going through us with us, with me in particular, on this issue as well. Uh, check it out. Peter Greenaway Films in general. Yes, uh, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, Her Lover. It is both high art and high fashion, and it does, I think, I think it says at the end of the day that revenge is a dish served, cooked to perfection on a bed of turnips Absolutely. and broccoli. Oh. Excellent. Um, and like most high art, my recommendation for this film, aside from watching it twice, is to not take it seriously. If you're going to get something out of it, it will seep into you after two watchings anyway. Don't don't just stare. Get something out of it the first time. Mm -hmm. Have have some fun. Just don't expect the movie to hold your hand, and yeah. it'll guide you through. It Michael is, Gambon is fantastic, and it is it it is beautifully shot as yeah. well. Yeah, it is visually like very. I said, very it, there's it, plenty it, to look at. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's definitely a high art visual piece. And it's, but it's that doesn't mean that you top. need to. It doesn't mean you need to have read the Wikipedia article, which is almost completely uninformative anyway, uh, to appreciate what's going on. Just look at what's. Look around. Just watch you. it. Yeah, look around you. Look around you. <laughs> um, and with that, uh, that's going to do it for Consumption Log 002. Ryan, Nicole, thanks for joining me once again. Thank you. Waving. I will hopefully know what the movie is and edit it in here for next slash the next next week. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. For more reviews, pseudo-philosophical blather, and project-based tomfoolery, Navigate your web machine to actualgarbage.net. There's plenty there to get you started on your own road to madness.